the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health and reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and those who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys. So episode seven of the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. So if you haven't already, guys, you can download and subscribe to us at the iHeartRadio app. And if not, you can find us on Spotify or iTunes. And yeah, catch up on all the latest episodes with some incredible advocates of mental health and people who have gone through severe adversities or even just some of the experts that are telling us how to deal with these issues. Today, guys, though, I've got somebody here who's who is actually based in Los Angeles, but originally from Sydney. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him before we get chatting. So Aaron Coote has spent 25 years founding and building his own businesses in varied industries, including finance, automotive, hospitality, and most recently, an exciting e-commerce startup in the beauty industry, which he grew and sold within two years. Wow. That business expanded to selling in 50 countries online and almost 4,000 retail stores within 18 months. In February 2019, he took over as a CEO role of the Basel Watches Australia, an Australian-owned luxury Swiss watch company. His strengths are in global operations, international expansion, strategic partnerships, and brand positioning. Aaron is based in Los Angeles, California, as I just said, where he continues to work with his business partner, on growing their business portfolio with his current focus being e-commerce. He's also, and when I say also, it sounds like he already does enough already, he's competitive in jiu-jitsu where he has a black belt and he's won multiple titles around the world. So first of all, before we get into the main bulk of it, this, this obviously this podcast is about wellness and we're going to talk about his personal story, but I want to welcome him first of all into the studio. So welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So before we delve into your story fully, tell me a little bit about your career, like obviously varied and within two years sold. And uh, The career, I guess, has been constant growth yep. for about the last, oh, geez, since I was 18 or 19-year-old apprentice. I started out as an apprentice sign writer and I used to come to work every day and I would hear, I would hear the old guys complain about their job and I hate this, I hate that. And I used to think, why do you come? You know, um, I was too young to know anything about childcare payments, mortgages, <laughs> yep. bills, all the adult stuff because yep. I, you know, I was at home being looked after. Um, and as soon as I finished my apprenticeship, I went and started working for myself. So I'm not going to be like you guys. I'm going to do my thing. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm just going to go. And, and how old was you at this time? I would have been, say, 20, 21, right. maybe 21. Yep. Um, and... I just finished my apprenticeship and maybe a week or two after I finished my apprenticeship, I said, oh, I'm off. And they're all you know, freaked out. I said, what are you, what are you, you know, um, I just, I, I knew how to do my job. I knew mm. nothing about business, but I knew that people would give me, you know, give me work. I knew I knew a lot of people yeah, and I knew that I could convince them to give me work. The rest, the business side, no idea. Mm. Little, I wish I had have known then what I know now, yeah. uh, a lot of trial and error over the years and a lot of stress that you know, potentially would have been unnecessary yeah. if I had a study business. You know, I may not have had to go through as many of those trials and tribulations, but you know, yeah. I guess you know, the, the best lessons are the ones we, we learn the hard way. And what always surprises me about business people and in terms of them, the most successful people that I know and associate with myself now is there was never 
scared of trial and error and they was never scared to fail. Mm. They just saw it as a lesson. In mm. terms of yourself, like at 21, 20 or whatever you were saying you were, was was the any fear of going into the unknown? Because I know at that stage, like there's a lot of people at that age going, what do I do with my life? I've finished university, whether I'm there, what do I do? Like what was in, in yourself that I guess – I just knew what I didn't want to do with, yeah. all, with very, very, very clear, perfect clarity. I did not want to be there in 30 or 40 years saying mm. I hate this job. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched, I guess, the generation before us, the, you know, especially the males, went out to work, came home, drank every afternoon because they hated their job yeah. um, and they were swapping time for money and I thought that's not for me. Mm. Um, you know, I grew up watching that and, you know, when I saw that my dad wasn't the only one doing that, I saw that there were you know, 30 or 40 guys who I worked with who were all identical. Mm. Um, I thought, no, not for me. Yeah. I got it. And, you know, and I'd also, I'm sure we'll get to it in a minute, but I, I was also having my breakdown around that time. Right. Um, and I just, yeah, I think the breakdown helped me to, to know what I don't want yeah. out of everything. So, I mean, going into that, you're, you're 20, you're 21, you know you don't want to do that, and you just mentioned that was probably when you was going through one of the worst periods. I mean, can you can you explain a little bit in terms of what it was that you started out with in terms of your mental health struggles yourself? Sure. Um, for me, I, I guess, you know, growing up with, uh, you know, that generation of male figures to, or role models as fathers mm. um, who were working hard, self-medicating, not dealing with any of their issues, yeah. um, you spend a lot of time waiting for the next blow-up or, you know, things are going to come out sideways, you know, because you're not dealing with anything, you're drinking instead. Um, bound to happen and it happens repeatedly. Mm. So you spend a lot of time, I guess, waiting or on, on high alert and your nervous system kind of starts to get worn down over time and, and eventually I had a, uh, a huge panic attack um, and I started like all of a sudden I was, well, what happened there? You know, what was that? Mm. And then I thought, okay, got rid of that. A couple of days later, it happened again. And then I started to think, well, this is a thing. So once it became a thing, then I started having, you know, panicking about panic. Right. And then mm. I was stuck in that fear, adrenaline, fear cycle that I know so well and, and you know, anxiety and panic attack sufferers you know, know yeah. only too well and it's the, the thing we dread. Mm -hmm. That gives us an extra second stress to make, you know, to put more pressure on our nervous system. Mm. And then when that nervous system is just completely always just being depleted after depletion after depletion, um, it becomes a tough place to get out of because yeah. even the smallest emotion is exaggerated by a hundred times. So, I mean, you're going through this stage where this is happening, then you're overstressing and you're, it's going around in your head at the same time, you know, you don't want to be in this predicament like a lot of the older generation are and you're wanting to go out on your own. How, how did you manage to combat both of those and go out into the world and start, um, start this kind of journey of what you wanted to do? But essentially, I think during that time when I was working in that job, mm. um, I was almost agoraphobic. Right. I, I did go to work every day, but I forced myself. Mm. Um, I did keep a smile on my face, but I forced myself. I didn't want anyone to know where, you know, what was that there was something happening with me because I last thing I wanted was to end up in a straitjacket and a padded cell like I'd seen in all the movies. Yeah. And um, so I kept going to work, but each morning I would I'd wake up at 6 a.m. panicking. I would panic most of the day 
in and out, like so many panic attacks almost. I would say it feels like it was constant. Mm. And then I would get home and I would read books to stop my brain from going crazy until four in the morning when I finally fell asleep. And then wow. you can imagine two hours, two, three hours sleep um, and all that anxiety. After a few days even, you're exhausted. But after two or three months, I was delirious, um, sleep-deprived, anxious as all, all hell. Um, I mean, for anyone who has never gone through a panic attack, what, what does that feel in? For anyone who doesn't know or judge, you know, the old school mentality when they're like, you'll be fine, you'll be right. Yeah. I mean, England's mentality was, let's have a cup of tea <laughs> and your problems will be fine. Yeah, here, but, let's have a beer. You yeah, know, or, yeah. Or it was, it's changing now. Yeah. Like so, I mean, what is that sense? Because personally, that's not my experience. Mine's body dysmorphia. So, mm-hmm. I've never had the panic attack. But for anybody who doesn't, ex- I say, I think. It's it's very hard to explain, but mm. it's like every nerve ending in your body mm. is on fire. Wow. It's like I can only imagine, and I try to explain, if you've just seen one of your children dragged into a car mm. by a stranger and sped off and then your all of your worst nightmares or your worst fears are going to come true. It's like every worst fear you can imagine coming true at the same time. And mm. you you try to get out of it or you try to stop it. But by trying to stop it, you're shying away from it. And when you're shying away from it, you're actually adding fuel to the fire Yeah. because it's more fear. There's only the only ways to go through it. Um, so and I yeah. suppose that you're having that internal battle with yourself because on one side you're going through it, but at the same time you go, there's nothing major happening in terms of that, that kind of feeling. So yes, yes and no. Once mm. you start to get a bit more understanding that there's nothing major happening, then yeah. Right. But yeah. at that moment in time. But when you don't have the tools yeah. and at that moment in time, which most people, you know, I've, I talked to a lot of people recently because I I, you know, I did a podcast recently and so many people reached out to me and said, hey, you were talking about me mm. and said, you actually got me. And I was saying, you know, one of my friends um, reached out to me. I hadn't talked to him in years and he reached out to me recently and, and I, I saw him and, and he said, hey, I, I listened to your podcast and I I thought I was going insane. I'd been going to hospital in an ambulance. I'd been in hospital in an ambulance three times because I thought I was going to die. Then I listened to your podcast and then I started to read the books that you recommended and and I said to my wife, this is written about me. This mm. is exactly what I've been saying to you. I can't believe it was written 40, 50 years ago. Um, and it gave me an understanding, like the the books and the education. I made it my job to, to find out what was going on to me because mm. I was about to check out. So I made like a you know an unbreakable commitment to myself to let's find out what's going on here, yeah, and and do some work. But you know that that came in a in a kind of out of left field because I was I was about to check out. Um, I rang. I was <laughs> I, I was uh, I was working one day in, in the city and I I walked into um, a phone box prior to mobile days back in the day, <laughs> and um, I'm sitting in one of those telephone boxes. I put my twenty cents in. I said I'm going to actually call. Prince of Wales Hospital and see if they have somewhere for um, I can talk to about anxiety. Mm. And I rang them and um, said, oh, have you got someone I can talk to about anxiety? And said, yeah, sure, I'll put you through. And I thought, geez, that wasn't scary. She seemed quite mm. normal. And then they put me through to uh, psychiatry. They said, hello, psychiatry. And I quickly go, ah, and I hang up the phone. Right. Because, but little did I know that right there and then that was what I needed. Mm. But I needed to get somewhere to get the tools to help me. But I'm keeping this massive secret from the world yeah. because I didn't want to end up where in the psychiatry ward or wherever. But um, 
you know, I needed to talk to someone who had the tools, who could teach me the tools to get through because I was not coping with life. Yeah. Um, and I had no way to turn off the, the fire that was burning right all through my body. Um, and it was exhausting and I was getting more and more exhausted. And, you know, after that call, I quickly slammed the phone down. I sat in the phone box and cried in the middle of George Street for about an hour. Mm. And I'm sitting there in my work clothes and on the, sorry, head on the, head on my uh, my hands and my knees and mm. people just, tens of thousands of people just walking up and down George Street, oblivious to me. Wow. Um, but little did I know then that um, a large portion of those people will probably be going through the same problems. Yeah. So after the hour, I kind of had to get myself up and dust myself off. And um, I looked and I was outside a Dimmick store, a bookstore. And um, I said, I'm going to go in and see if I can find anything in there, you know. So um, I walked in there, went to the self-help thing. And I saw this book and said, like one of the first books I picked up said, self-help for your nerves. And I wasn't much of a reader then except for the, you know, not self-help or not. Mm. I was reading fiction to just try and escape and, you know, stop my mind. But um, I found these books by Dr. Claire Weeks who, like, literally saved my life. Wow. Just in knowledge and understanding of what was happening to me. All of the extra fear and what's happening, what's, am I, I'm, you know, I'm going to end up in a straitjacket, I'm losing my mind, I'm going to die, all of these things um, that added extra fear that also, that, you know, continuously exhausted my um, nervous system that was all unnecessary if I knew what was actually happening to me. But I couldn't find out what was happening to me because I wouldn't speak to anyone about it. So before this got to the stage of the George Street when you was in the phone box, how, how long had this been going on for? I would say I started to get anxious maybe a few years before, but just a mm. little bit anxious, you mm. know, and it be, kind of became a, a habit without knowing it because right. a, lot of, a lot of these things, you know, we develop these these. I guess, habitual thoughts over mm. time, these negative habitual thoughts that we tell ourselves without knowing. Yeah. And we repeat them so many times and, you know, without awareness to, to stop them. And we start to believe them over time. Yeah. And we talk ourselves into these situations just not, not knowingly. And then all of a sudden, bang, it hits. And, and you know, you you've kind of have to unlearn a lot of stuff yeah. that you've told yourself that's unnecessary. I mean, what you've exactly said there, mine was a totally different thing in not terms of anxiety and panic attacks, but with the body dysmorphia. But exactly what you just said resonated with me because like you say, it starts out as a little problem or so you think you can control it to the point where I was looking in the mirror with myself loathing for a, maybe a few minutes and then not paying attention. And then to when I went through my dark periods and I say, and people still can't believe it, like three to four hours in a mirror. Mm-hmm depicting myself and trying to trying to and there was nothing wrong like but you're locked into that thought yeah and and it feels like everything well it feels like the end of the world at at times doesn't it ultimately but i always say to to most of the guests that come in on the podcast when you're going through this stage and you think that you're trying to hide this secret some people are obviously better at hiding it than others but at this time was your was you still living at home with your parents or on your own did those circle of friends or close people to you start picking up on signs or noticing there was something not quite right there? At that stage, I think I'd moved back in with my parents. Right. Um, they weren't living too far from the beach, which was, you know, yeah, not a bad spot to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might have used them up for a bit longer than I should have. But, um, yeah, I was – I mean, I think they kind of knew at times, but I mm. didn't want them to feel bad. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't let on how bad it was. Right. Um, I didn't want to become a burden. Yeah, you know, and nine times out of ten, if you did talk to someone about it, they didn't know anyway. 
Yeah. And even if you went to back in those days, maybe you know, 25, yeah, 25 odd years ago, if you went to a therapist, they'd say, well, you have to just you know, deal with anxiety. Yeah. Um, and they'd never felt it. They didn't know what it was like to, to, to have that, mm. that nerve ending like just on fire yeah. um, right through your body. And, and what I found with these books by Dr. Claire Weeks was that her story is an interesting one that she was actually a sufferer. She was a doctor was diagnosed with polio or I can't remember what the what the disease was, but at the time, back in, in her day, it was 12 months bed rest. Wow. So 12 months of bed rest, um, you're left with to your To try own, and deal with these problems. You're left with your own thoughts. Yeah. And you're whatever. And she realized that she, she got super anxious, started having panic attacks, had a complete nervous breakdown. Yep. And then started to look from her doctor's perspective, but feeling and knowing what's going on. So mm. having all of the symptoms, all the thoughts, the same as all of the panic and anxiety sufferers around the world. Mm. Um, but she looked at it in a, in a, in a different way, in a, in a professional way, yeah. but also having the experience that we have. Yeah. Um, so she broke it down and explained the nervous system, explained what happens when it's fatigued, yeah. um, explained how everything's so exaggerated, and then also explained you know, a, a pretty simple process about how to overcome it. Simple, but yeah. not, not easy. But I love hearing that, like hearing someone in such a professional stance like a clinical psychologist that's broken down those barriers herself and spoken about it. Mm. I mean, there's obviously the ethical practice where a lot of professionals don't speak about it openly if they've been through it, which is fair enough. But then on the other side of it, even people on this campaign, as soon as you tell your story or you open up, the amount of people that respect you more and can resonate and like you said, people saw when you spoke on your last podcast, they saw themselves in what you said through your words. So, I mean, if, if more, I've been reaching out to a lot more clinical psychologists and the, the doctors and nurses because one of the high suicide rates is actually in professionals, medical mm. professionals, but yet still with the stigma holding on to this professional code of ethics and they can't speak about it. I think once we, we try and close that, like you've just said with this lady that, that spoke so highly of what she went through and she learned to transition it and, and work with her thoughts as well as a professional side of thing, I think we'll, we have come a long way. But I think we'd come a lot further because some people you'll you'll go to a clinical psychologist, and you've still got that kind of men mentality where if if they're just going with that code of ethics and not breaking down the barriers of being that personable side and going, I know what you're talking about because I've been through it myself mm. and I've not just read it from a textbook. I think that straight away would just close that gap and you'd be more a open. Absolutely, and yeah. if they have been through it themselves, they can connect much easier. Yeah, because. What I find when I talk to people about panic and anxiety and, you know, the depression that comes from that long term mm. um, is that if, they, if they're a sufferer, if, um, they will get it. They will know that mm. I get them. And that's the one thing that, that really gives them hope. Yeah. Because I've, you know, people say, oh, but your life's this, your life's that, you travel so much, you know such and such, or you're so lucky, you, but not one bit yeah. of that is luck. Bit of it is because I had this breakdown, and it, that gave me the opportunity. It was a blessing, mm. you know. At, at the time, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but because it was hell. Mm. But it became a blessing for me because I'd been through hell. Yeah. So I was able to find heaven in the little things, mm. you know. If you know, hell and heaven, whatever. Um, but the I'd been through such a tough time that it was easy for me to find love and warmth and joy in having a cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, or or whatever, just sitting on the beach and. 
but it, it allowed me to have fuller, more engaged and connected relationships mm. on a deeper level um, because a lot of people that haven't been through that, they're, yeah. they're continuously going through life trying to – everyone's doing their best to get through every day the best way we know how. Yeah. But I, I find that unless you have your rock bottom, you do a lot of just getting by. Yeah. And I've learned that so much through this campaign, essentially chatting to people who have – like everyone will look at this campaign and they will see people in entertainment. And I always make sure to say to people, it's people across a plethora of industries because as soon as the media – we know in the mainstream media – they're going to sensationalize and go, it's a celebrity campaign because so-and-so is attached to it. Now, it's a plethora of industries, but I, what I've learned is everyone on this campaign or whatever industry you're in, that judgment sort of thing needs to be more mindful because essentially, like you say, when people look at your life and they go, oh, you're flying here, there, and everywhere, your jobs. One of my good friends in LA, he he happens to work for somebody of high high profile and who owns like something, something ridiculous, like a $500 million business. And I was like, oh, the ultimate life. So that was judgment on myself. And it was like, you know what though? The majority of people look at these celebrities or look at these influential people in good positions who have worked their ass off. But what they forget to remember is, okay, so he might be running a $500 million business, but what comes with that is 500 million problems. Well, like, people don't think that. They see the highlights, and that's one of the things with the campaign. I'm trying to disrupt social media and de-celebritize it by going, hold on, guys, when you go, what do they know? Because they've got the money, they've got the thing. It's like you say, when you hit rock bo bottom within any industry and you can climb your way out, you've got this one common denominator that connects everybody, and you find the essence and the happiness in the little things. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to, which I'm so grateful for, some of uh, the biggest influential people with money through this campaign who have all hit that rock bottom. And their mentality and their purpose, they have they all say what, exactly what you said. It's kind of like it was a curse, but it was a blessing. Yeah. Because you can fully resonate with anybody now. There's no kind of, with some people... A good friend would say that when he was at the the height of his fame or success, the the narcissism and ego that came with it. But when he got knocked to his rock bottom, it was the most terrible time he ever went through. But it made him appreciate the finer things in life, and you can you can learn to live your life a hell of a lot better. Absolutely, it, yep. do, it doesn't matter how successful you are, yep. what industry you're in, how unsuccessful you are. Yep. You have the same basic human needs and wants at the end of the day. Yeah. And they're the things, whether they're being addressed or if, if those wants and needs are being met, then they're the things that give us our rock bottom or not. Yeah. They're our survival stuff. Yeah. The rest of it's all BS. Yeah, I agree. There was one thing that I was I was basically working on um, and I was trying to get two people in. So say I'd got on one side of this. People in Australia might not know this show, but there was a famous show in the UK called Blind Date. And it was basically this host, Scylla Black, and she'd, she'd have a male on one side, she'd have a couple of females or the other way around, and there'd, there'd be a petition between. So essentially, my idea was when people said, oh, this campaign is full of celebrities or people of high influence, get a celebrity or that person on one side. Get an everyday Joe Blog like myself on the other side. Talk on a commonality like a mental health issue, and you will see and move that petition and go, we are one. Mm -hmm. Like... There's no differential thing just because I might have a profile like 
I always say that judgment thing in life, judgment is based to me on the back of hypocrisy. We've all done things that we're not we're not proud of. And I say it in most of these 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 podcasts because it's one of those things, yes, as humans, we're conditioned to judge whether it's good or whether it's bad, but we need to be mindful. Absolutely. Like when it comes to this, if you're judging someone based on who they are, though, their successful thing, what people need to realize is through social media, it's so swift these days that people of influence have to post a lot of these things because it's their job. It's the brand to do so. They're not seen behind the scenes. So I'm always saying like, unless you've walked a mile in someone's shoes or you know the true put, their true story, then we need to be so mindful because our kids are listening all the time. And you can pretty much, I guess, assume um, that they're the same as us. Yeah. Because we're human. Um, I do a lot of jujitsu as we talked in the beginning. And, mm. and the thing about jujitsu is that it, it's all about leverage over strength. Yeah. So, and, and you're problem solving under pressure. It helps you. You talked about learning through losses and things mm. before. Um, it helps you walk on to the mat and you can be submitted. You can be a big guy and be submitted by someone much smaller than you. Mm. And if you don't like that, which you don't, but if you can't take that mm. and, and learn to deal with that, you're not going to last. Yeah. The best thing about that is once you start to you know, overcome your own ego and you are, um, you, you start to learn the leverage instead of the strength, you learn to find ways to use leverage through life, mm. not just through fighting or through working. You know, it's a stressful situation at work. Okay, I'm used to problem solving under pressure. Um, where's the leverage in this situation? You know, I don't want to fight my way through anything because yeah. that only adds more stress. I want to be able to be calm and think things through rationally. Um, and when, that, when the emotion comes in, which is, you know, when you're going through having panic, panic attacks and anxiety and, you know, everything, all the emotions are overwrought. Mm -hmm. So you can't necessarily trust them. Yeah. You just need to get better at doing your job under pressure. Mm -hmm. And that is, I guess, I think a learned skill over time. Um, that in, in jiu-jitsu, we say that there aren't, aren't any losses, there are only lessons. And competing over the years, you learn that you learn so much more from the times when you lost mm -hmm. than you do from the good times, from the times when you win. Yeah. You don't even think about the wins. You celebrate them. Yeah, sure, I've got my photo for Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> when, uh, look, how yep. good, look how good I am, you yeah. know, and how many likes is that going to get? Um, but the losses, you, you think about that at night and you sleep and you, you, mm. know, you when you're trying to sleep, you lay in bed and you go, oh, how do you get me? You know, Analyzing it, yeah. And then that never, ever happens again because yep. you improve from that. So the way I look at it, and this is what I've kind of worked to over the years, and, and the Dr. Claire Weeks books have helped me in this, um, is is working forward from these dark times. Mm. Um, one of my favourite books by a, a guy called Thomas More, it's called Dark Nights of the Soul. Mm. And it goes through all of the different societies over, over, the, the, de <clears throat> over the decades. And it's about the societies that celebrated the dark times. In our society now, Everyone shies away so much from any anything sad, any don't be sad, don't be angry. Well, you can't do that. You have to be. So we kind of live in this, fakeness is the wrong word. I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but this book talks about these dark times or dark nights of the soul when something has hit us because life's going to throw stuff at us continuously. Mm. And we can either shy away from that, which is going to add anxiety, it's going to add panic, it's going to add more stress, or we can really look at it and celebrate it and use it as an opportunity to um, you know, to take a, a mental and an emotional stock take and say, okay, what am I going to take forward? Is this benefiting me? 
you know, all those habitual thoughts that we talked about before that aren't good for us. Mm. Perfect time when you're emotional and when you're down is to really go through and say, no, that, that's not healthy for me and, and make some change. Yeah. That's what I did back in, in when I had my breakdown in my early 20s. And I'm sure I've had plenty of dark times since then. Um, but nine times out of 10, when those dark times happen, I haven't been living properly. I've been working too hard. I've been too stressed for too long um, so that my nervous system is getting depleted again and then it's starting to play out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and we all live faster and faster these days and we do more and more and, you know, we we end up, we're encouraged to work harder and, you know, people don't let, get at the office at 6 a.m. and don't leave till 10 p.m. And, you know, how long can that, how long is that sustainable for? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess it's, you know, about... And, you know, we're also all competing with each other, especially with social media. And that's anxiety-provoking as well. So it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to escape to find your own time. Like, where's, I'm good too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, all we ever, that's all any of us want to feel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing that jiu-jitsu has taught me where it helps with anxiety and helps with depression and things is to not compete with anyone. Mm. Compete with myself to, be, to learn and to grow and to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. Yeah. You know, if you train... 365 days and you get a little bit better each day, that's a big year. Yeah. And by the end of it, you, you're 10 times, you know, you're a completely different person to the one you were at the start of the year, you know. Yeah. Um, easier said than done because we're all too busy trying to impress other people. Others, yeah. yeah. We're all trying to, too busy trying to impress strangers, let alone trying to impress our family and the ones who are closest to us that, are, that can really actually help us. Yeah. And that's what all of this social media thing is about, you know? Yes, I totally understand that with the social media because, I mean, that was one of the things that I attributed to my own demise, should I say. Um, I was comparing myself to these guys, bodybuilders, which was kind of silly because at the same time, and no judgment, but I didn't know what they was putting into the bodies and because I couldn't keep up with them and I, I was in the fitness industry and I was looking at them going, why can't I get this aesthetic chest? And I mean, people have listened to these podcasts now and go, Glenn, shut up about your chest. <laughs> but this was my, it's, my it's issue. Great chest. It's, great chest. <laughs> it's finally grown. But for a long time, I put myself through the rigmarole of it yeah, all. But it's a slippery um, slope. And it's social media attributed. Like, 100%. So I just get scared for our kids because there's a new thing called TikTok and it's, like, where's it going? It's, look, it's a slippery slope. If you yep. start competing with everyone, there's always someone with a bigger house, a yep. bigger, bigger car, more money, bigger bank account. Yep. There's always someone. It never yep. stops. Like it's, it's here. If, if, you know, I need to compete with me and me yep. alone. But you know what it. I've had to actually noticed as well, and you're, you're a very successful businessman, but you can be making millions of dollars, whatever you're making, but ultimately money doesn't make happiness. Not one bit. Like so. I've met some people who are extremely, extremely wealthy. Yeah. And they had the same problems as me, yep. as same problems as you, and they would give anything to find a way to just be content and happy and live a, you know, live a, a engaged life. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know where social media is going, but I hope they're finally on par now to um, start educating people a little bit more about these likes and these like. I know they've removed the likes off it, but I've noticed in Australia they've suddenly popped back up. So anyway, but back to yourself. Um, so you was talking about the books that kind of helped you. And obviously with the jujitsu, was this a time that you was also doing jujitsu? Because no. to me and the first time we've met, you seem a very dedicated and disciplined person, like mentality. So did you manage to get yourself out of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, um, the, the, I walked into Demix and I found the book by Dr. Claire Weeks. Yeah. Um, and can I just ask you? Yeah. 
Have you ever reached out to her and said something to her that well, she attributes to I, your... I would have, yeah. but she was old. Oh, okay. Um, she's that's, no longer that, with us. That's what I was going to say, my yeah. second question there. Yeah. Um, she's, yeah, she's no longer with us, but I would because I owe her, I owe her my life. And, yeah. and, and hundreds of thousands of people around the world owe her yeah. their lives. Um, she was just published in the Australian, I think it was the Australian recently, right. um, about her books that have been re-released. But when she first started out, her really fascinating life. When she first started out, the regular psychology kind of rode her out of town and said, this is not, this is not, it's all nonsense. Um, like anyone who's changing, you know, an, an industry or changing yeah. the world, like people are going to say no because they, they hate change. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's contrary to what they're teaching. Yeah. Um, but it's super practical. And I, you know, I made it my job because, I would, you know, that day in the phone box was a turning point in my life. And finding these books, I, I guess I, you know, I, I said I'm worth it. You know, why is everyone else worth it and not me? I'm going to make a commitment to my life to, you know. Uh, and also finding the books was showed me that I wasn't the only one. If there's a book about it, mm. and people are buying that book, and there's a, it's it's endemics, there must be, you know, there must More be other people, people who are yeah. like me. So she she teaches about what happens with the nervous system when it's out of whack. And when you start having panic attacks, there's four ways that she teaches to, you know, to get through them or to to put it behind you. Um, one is to is accepting it uh, because if you're kind of accepting it and, or not accepting it and trying to push it away, you're you're flaring up the the anxiety. You can't relax it in that way. Mm. And, and facing it, so like looking in the eye and saying, "Do your best." Yeah. Um, and then floating through it, like just letting your body relax as much as you can and, and just con continue with about your day. Because if you're sitting there trying to tense your way through it, mm. guess what's happening? More adrenaline. Yeah. And your nervous system's getting more and more short and it starts to get on the treadmill. It's just, it's a fear, adrenaline, fear cycle. So it's floating your way through and then letting time pass. And by letting time pass is like not picking the scab. Mm. Is it gone yet? Is it gone yet? Because if you're constantly waiting to know if it's gone yet, guess what? It's still still there you know yeah um so it's it's facing accepting floating and letting time pass because mm -hmm. if you keep picking the scab it's never going to heal yeah. yeah and then she says you know if if in a couple of weeks time you have another little flare up or whatever because it, it, it takes time and to mm -hmm. settle to you know to, to settle and you can then you know you know it's another opportunity to practice yeah so it's not like it's not like something oh it's it's back it's back it's another opportunity to practice your skills because mm. you're developing skills and tools for life. Yeah. If you, and look, there's a time and a place for medication to give your nervous system a rest, but if you want to develop the tools, go through it. Yeah. And once you have those tools, they're with you. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's like jujitsu, more more tools you develop, you get up through the belts and then you, you become much better at what you do. Um, and then you start to do a lot of things without even thinking. I like the way you say that because, again, through these episodes, the more and more people that I'm speaking to about it is there's on one side, there's room for medicating to get through certain things. But again, how you've just said it, you've described it a little bit better, but you're you're actually accessing tools and skills that you're going to take for a lifetime. And a lot of people have said the same thing. Like you have to feel it. You have to go through it to know how to deal with it because medication is not always going to be there. So if you're self-medicating with this in mind, if they remove that medication, how are you going to deal with the process afterwards? Uh, absolutely. So and it's if kind something of... happens that you know you you get sick and you need a different sort of medication, yeah. and and that one doesn't work with that, then you have to go off that medication. And hey, um, well, everything's come back. We're 
Oh, that's right. Yep. I didn't do the work before. I didn't pay then, so I'm paying now. Yeah. You know, there's a good friend of mine always says, you either pay now or you pay later. Mm. So you do the work, put in the hard yards, and, and you know, you start to get – I start to get – addicted is the wrong word, but I started to get addicted to the benefits of, of getting the tools. Yeah. I started to feel this peace that was like, oh, the best. You so when I, you start to feel the peace and you start working on yourself and, and training your mindset into a, a whole new way of, of thinking, when was the point – or the pivotal point for yourself where you started telling your story or opening up? Um, I think, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, it's a weird, not a weird question, it's a tough yeah. one because I've kind of, it's always been there and I've always talked about it. Right. And I, I don't know what, maybe coming out the other side and, and seeing how it became such a blessing and then seeing so many other people struggling. Mm. Um, isn't it funny, though, that when you've been through something, you can pick the traits up, what you went through on other people? For sure. It was the same with me in the gym. I started helping people, and and I always say, I think now this has kind of been my purpose because of what I went through as a blessing um, and a curse at the same time. But you start seeing it in other people, don't you? Mm, so essentially absolutely. telling your words or your story, the amount that it can actually help someone, possibly save someone's life. Absolutely. Is- and. I just think of myself in that phone box, mm. so close to getting the help that I needed, yeah. But running away from it first because of the stigma of mental illness, you know. Mm. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want anyone to judge me. I don't want anyone to think that there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just. It's if it was if I broke my leg, I'd go straight to the hospital and put it in a cast. Yeah, yeah. You know, and get it fixed. Yeah. And it's the same with mental illness. Let's let's get the help we need and and let's help each other. Let's yeah. help each other to say, hey, this is okay. Let's, 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 we're all in this together. Yeah. Let's stop judging and stop shying away from each other and, and, and help out, you know? Yeah. And I, go you on, go, sorry. No, you go. Yeah. And I do believe that, that there are certain places that like need to stop being conservative in this area as well because they won't address certain, certain issues. I know recently there was, there was a certain thing that basically they would, they didn't want to address because of their audience members to the terms of addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're looking at anything like that, you can look at addiction in all forms, shapes and sizes, addicted to alcohol, drugs, social TV, media. social media, like we need to address them. So to be conservative and say, oh, we can't really put that out to our audience, most of your audience is probably dealing with this shit. Like, Half of the US's population is on some type of sedative. Oh, the amount of people, I didn't realize the problem was that big in the US until I got there. Like me and my friend went on a global talk shows and their platform across five areas of social media within the um, the recovery communities, nine million people. <clears throat> and I was like, wow, uh, I work, insane. I work with a few people in, um, in, in America that uh, are in the addiction help space mm. um, and – you hear people's stories, they're, they're the same as ours. Yeah. And again, it doesn't matter how successful, how whatever, you know, we're all human. And, and, and you know, the self-medicating, it's, it's not about the drug dealers or the, you know, the person taking drugs or the choices they make. It's self-medicating to cover pain. Yeah. You know, and it's the same pain that we all go through and the reason we're all here and, you know, the reason we're all imperfectly perfect, you yeah. know, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and, and look, for me, with that, the, the panic type, 
thing and, and, and how it starts just in Claire Weeks, just to, just to say how I first got there because you, you asked me earlier. Um, she talks about four types of fatigue. Mm. Muscular fatigue that you'll know well from the gym, which is a good feeling. You know, I've worked hard. Yep. Then um, mental fatigue where you've had a big day at work and you've been concentrating all day. That's not as good as the muscular fatigue, but, you know, you feel it and it's not too bad. Um, then there's emotional fatigue where, you know, you start to get everything just starts to feel too much. Um, then the last one is fatigue of the spirit where you just say, I can't fight anymore. Mm. And that's how the nervous system worked for me because each one of those depleted my nervous system further and further and then all of a sudden it's gone. Everything is on high alert. Yeah. My system's not working properly and there's alerts and alarm bells ringing everywhere where they don't need to be. That's how simple and clinical it's it's broken down on a on a I guess on a on a physical level. Yeah. And for me, prior to that, I knew nothing about the physical or what was happening to me. It was all mental mm. and emotional and overwhelming and scary. And you know, it, it it was my nervous system was out of whack because of over you know it was overworked. Yeah. And, you know, all I needed were the tools to understand that. And, and my friend that I, I mentioned earlier that when he said to me about that, he said, I think this just, I'm only halfway through this book, but I think it's, it's, I'm 50% better because I know some stuff now. Yeah. It's not scary. I'm not dying. Yeah. I'm not going to end up in the mental institution. I'm pretty normal. Mm. And I've got a nervous system that's giving me some grief. And I think that's what when people suddenly realize that themselves that <clears throat> with everybody, whether it be this campaign or whether it people telling their stories, that they're not alone. They're not the only person. And mm -hmm. when you said you walked into Dimmicks that day and you found that book and you was like, oh, well, if there's a book about it, more people are going through it. Mm. I think if people people get that disconnection and, and, and really start thinking the same way. You obviously did and go, oh, well, there's more people because more people are speaking about it, whether it be on TV, whether it be what, and just go, hold on a minute, I am normal. Yeah. Like. I'm not the only one. Yeah. And in these situations, because they're so overwhelming and they're so terrible and, you know, and there are certain aspects of each person's life that make it personal to them. Yeah. So that part I get, yeah, they are the only one going through that. But in general, it's we're all the same. We all, we're all going through the same stuff day in, day out. Yeah. Let's start helping each other instead of judging each other. Yeah. And, and what I would say, um, one last thing, is obviously you've overcome this and you've built a successful career. You live in Los Angeles and you're doing really well for yourself. What I always like to say to people through this is when they think they're not coping or, or that they'll never be able to attain things like that, just look where you are and what you've been through. And and I always say that to people. I'm like, just because you see someone successful, you don't know their story. You don't know where they've been, but look where they are. And and they went through exactly the same thing as you. So there are better things on the other side. Absolutely. I always say to people, um, <clears throat> they probably don't get it. And if you're out there feeling anxious at the moment or you're, having, you're going through this or you res resonate with any of what I've felt and you feel that hell, um, I'm excited for you. Yeah. Because learn some tools, get through this, and you will live a much better, fuller life. It's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. And I know it's it's hell and almost impossible to see it at the time. Yeah. But it it it's a it can be a driver if you use it properly to just get everything you want in life. Yeah. 
And I will finish off by basically saying to everybody that this is a quick disclaimer to say we are not experts and this is just a personal personal kind of thing. So what works for one person may not work for the other one. Always manage to reach out to your support lines or anyone in the professional kind of industry that can help you and give you the tools and skills. But um, yeah, Aaron, I just want to thank you for coming in today. I mean, flying in from LA for my podcast. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you had business as well. Um, but truly appreciate it. Incredible story. Um, you built a highly successful career, mate. So um, I take my hat off to you and um, yeah, all the best with everything. Thanks, mate. Look, I'm just happy for the opportunity to, you know, to tell my story again because every time I tell it, it helps someone. Exactly. And that's the main aim. Let's normalize the conversation, drop the judgment, just be more mindful and live a happier, healthier life. All right, guys. So next week we will be dropping this. Okay.